Well, grief seems to be something in our culture that we don't want to experience, that we want to run from. It's, it's terrible. It's painful. It's awful. Get away from it as soon as you can. And yet grief, if you don't honor her, shows up in your life in unexpected ways. If you honor the grief and you don't get stuck there, it propels you forward. Grief and love are the great transformative forces in life. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and I love to hear from you, my listeners. Leave me a comment on ZestfulAging.com. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD, Buffalo Motel, is out now, and you can find out more about her on judybanker.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Stephanie Raffalock was so articulate and poetic about describing the experience of aging. She and I ponder the question, just how old is old. And she reflects on the importance of having a mindset of engagement and gratitude as we age. Stephanie's wisdom will leave you inspired and uplifted. Well, as usual, I've got my Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. We have a lovely interview for you today. We'll be speaking with Stephanie Raffalock, and she's the author of a delightful little book on aging, which is full of wisdom and highlights the bittersweet experience of getting older. She believes in embracing the accumulating years with purpose, intention, and joy. She lives in Austin, Texas, where she hosts her own podcast called Coffee Table Wisdom. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, it's good to be with you today. Good to be with you too. Let's just dive right in because we had a chat earlier about what would be the most interesting uh, way to get started. And you came up with this great question, which is, how old is old? Isn't that a wonderful question? It's an excellent question. And you know, on the surface, you're going to get a different answer depending upon who you ask. If you ask a 15-year-old, how old is old? (laughs) They might say, well, 42 is really old. If you ask um, a 42-year-old, how old is old? They might say, well, 55. And it's going to keep shifting. You know, perception or perception colors our answer to that. But Mm -hmm. I think that the other question that tags onto that is, what is old? Because I've met people who are my age that seem old to me. I've met people my age and older that don't seem old. So where is that line? And I think it has to do with 
engagement, and gratitude. That those are the things that keep us vibrant. You know, you call your show Zestful Living. There is a zest for life, a joie de vie, a Mm -hmm. something that defines us that says, life is significant and important and beautiful to me. That's youth. Or maybe we should say, rather than divided in between youth and age, that's just life. And I think that every decade um, has its its own challenges. So yes, older age has some challenges, but so does being a teenager. Mm. I mean, can you remember the hormones jumping up and down and mm-hmm. trying to fit in? And it's like, oh, I would never want to go back to that. Mm-hmm. But you know, every- uh, there's, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say Ashton Applewhite, the, the uh, influential uh, anti-ageist advocate says, aging is living. Right on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're saying. We don't one day wake up and say, okay, now we're old. Right, because old then implies a destination point. And there is no destination point. Life continues, whether you're engaged in it or not, until you die. So there so is no destination point. And I think we continue to grow and develop and change psychospiritually until death. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's a, a tough question, just something for us to ponder. You know, you talk about sort of, being vibrant, being zestful and engaging and and having gratitude, all of that, you know, you're preaching to the choir right here. And I'm (laughs) sure with our listeners, but do you think that that's something that people can acquire or, you know, can they pick that up later in life? Or is that something, I mean, you talk about in your book, and I love this, you know, you were a wild child. You have been an adventurer your entire life. It's not like you woke up at 50 and said, I think I'm going to take some hikes now. I better start yoga. (laughs) Talk a little bit about that part. Well, in answer to your question, is it something that you can teach yourself? Yes, regardless of your past. I think that you can decide to grow, decide to change um, value transformation at, at any age. So um, aging well, for the most part, is a mindset, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a matter of what's your attitude. And we can all change our attitude. Those are inner choices that we make. And then those inner choices, of course, reflect you know our outer world. So we've got attitude... Um, adaptability, because adaptability is something that you need to learn as you grow older and something that everyone can learn as they grow older. And then, of course, activity. The activity keeps us young and and, and vibrant. I, I listened to a guest of yours recently. She was talking about um, being in the trees and how healing being mm, in the trees were. Verla Fortier, yeah. Yeah. What a lovely, lovely interview that is. But I thought... Absolutely. Part of what keeps me feeling engaged with the world, part of the vibrancy I feel is that I'm out in nature as much as I can possibly be. Whether that's um, a hiking trail near me, or that's a park, or wherever it is, nature is healing. There are answers in nature for us because nature models what the cycles are. It's like the original... Uh, template or yeah I mean we've all evolved from nature so right it's our home base have you always been a nature girl 
Well, my dad was park naturalist at Carlsbad oh. Caverns, New Mexico I when I was it. born. Yeah. And then oh. later on at Glacier National Park. So right. um, I had siblings that, you know, took me out into the woods and um, put me on sleds and pushed me down the hill. And um, mm. yeah, so I have always loved nature in that way. And I've always found it to be very healing for me. Mm-hmm. Did your dad teach you about nature? Somewhat. My dad was kind of an animal whisperer. What he really taught me was not so much about nature in terms of being outside, but he had an affinity for animals. So if we were in Glacier, there's a there's a family story, lore, legend, whatever you want to call it. He was up in a little cabin doing some kind of data research. And he would sit in this little cabin in the morning and and the windows evidently didn't have screens on them and he would sit at the window and drink his coffee in the morning and he said there was a bear that came every morning and he would talk to the bear and the bear would sometimes you know get up on its hind legs and the bear was curious about my dad and these are grizzly bears these are not eastern black bears well i do think this was a was not a probably a grizzly i think this was probably a brown bear although glad to hear it but grizzly makes for a better story it does that is true so um this bear on the last morning that he was there and he'd been talking to this bear every morning it kept coming back got closer to the window my dad came home with scratches on his cheeks how did Mm. you get the scratches on your cheeks Well, he'd been talking to this bear and had leaned forward, and the bear, in its curiosity, had placed its paws on either side of my dad's face. And, of course, it was so stunning and shocking. It was like, you know, suddenly it wasn't a zoo anymore. It was like, you know, this is a wild animal. My dad pulled back and got the scratches on either side of his cheeks. Oh, my gosh. But I loved the story, and I loved hearing the story from him that he would talk to animals and it didn't matter if it was a cat in the neighborhood later on when he was living in a neighborhood or it was the bears on the mountain or taking me to a place where the deer drink so that I could see the deers coming to this little water hole to drink um, so that's the that's the gift of nature he gave me was this love of animals and mm-hmm. uh, and I do I do love animals <laughs> and part of your you you talk really beautifully about prioritizing and that as a woman in her 60s you're you're you know you're aware that your energy is not what it used to be you talk about waning energy and then you list your priorities and one of them and you know I have to chuckle because we share this that we we uh we both do this that taking a a hike with your dogs is is top on the list absolutely (laughs) why is that so important for you Well, one, I think that it's good to get out and move every day, and it's good to get out and move outside whenever you can. Mm -hmm. And dogs, what dogs teach us is that we're we're pack animals or we're part of the herd. You know, we're not meant to live in isolation. So when I walk with my dog, it's usually with my dog and my husband, and we walk as a pack, and we migrate which is what animals do. They don't, they're not just stationary like we are in a house. And there's something about getting out and walking in nature with my dog that changes my mindset. It's, it's hard to not be in gratitude when you're walking with a dog. What do you notice? What's the experience like? I mean, I certainly, I, I totally get it. But sometimes it's a little bit hard to put into words. 
I think for me, what I notice is just the world around me. Things slow down enough. I'm not in front of a device. I'm not in front of my phone or my computer. So the world has automatically slowed down. Mm-hmm. I know my neighbors in this neighborhood in Austin, which is kind of a new neighborhood for us. We moved a year and a half ago. I know my neighbors because of my dog, because my neighbors have dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure and that you know you, the dog's name. Yeah, probably. I was just going to say, <laughs> you often know the dog's name before you remember the neighbor's yeah, name. Sure. So I observe the life that's going on around me, um, whether it's my neighbors or the, the twins next door that are suddenly learning to walk. And they have two speeds, on and off. Mm -hmm. There's no in-between. There's something wonderful about that observation. It's like, look at life going on around me. I notice nature, whether it's the shedding of trees or the budding of trees. People are starting to put in a garden. Um, Whether or not the wind is blowing off the lake, whether or not it feels like there's a shift in the weather. It's a time to observe, and within that observance is the act of gratitude. Just mm-hmm. practicing saying thank you, I think, is is gratitude practice enough. Because mm-hmm. life is going on. Wow. And it's an intimate, I mean, there's a way, like, obviously, if you're driving to the store, you're not going to necessarily smell the earth or feel the wind shift or see the light change. You're going to be going on an errand to get your groceries. It's a very different feel. I think you're talking about being fully part of, fully present and absorbed in that very moment. Well, as Joseph Campbell once said, He said, it's not really the meaning that we want. What we want is the rapture of the experience. Mm. And so being in nature is to place oneself in the rapture of the experience. Mm. That's beautiful. Isn't that great? That is beautiful. And I mean, I'm just thinking about sort of logistically, after you've experienced this rapture, do you feel more motivated or more inspired to come home and write? Is your creativity bubbling at that point? I definitely come home and do things, but the truth is I don't usually walk until I've written a couple hours. I see. So you have to do it the other, du- the yeah, other direction. Yeah, I do it yeah. the other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is energizing. You know, any kind of exercise gets your endorphins happening and Mm -hmm. it it is energizing. Um, So it kind of feeds on itself. If you're used to getting up and walking every day, if you're used to doing some form of exercise every day, you want to do more because it keeps us feeling alive. Yeah, you never regret having taken a walk, right? You never say, wow, I shouldn't have done that unless you sprain your ankle or something. But it's like, wow, okay, it was sleeting, but I did it. And I feel, you know, I'm going to take a hot shower now and, and feel good. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Copper Compression, for supporting the Zestful Aging podcast. Copper Compression was in the news recently when they donated their entire stock of 18,000 masks to New York and New Jersey hospitals. Thank you so much for that. We're happy to work with a brand that has its values in the right place. 
Copper Compression offers a full range of copper-infused wellness products like braces, gloves, and sleeves that provide targeted relief and the support you need through your active recovery. They have the highest copper content on the market, guaranteed. Copper-infused fabric is really an amazing material. It has antimicrobial and anti-odor properties, and it helps increase blood flow. This unique combination of compression and copper gives you the strength to heal. Many of you know that I'm an avid tennis player, and over the years I've had to deal with the pain of plantar fasciitis. And for those of you who haven't experienced it, it literally feels like walking on little nails. It is very painful, Uh, but their plantar fasciitis foot supports have really helped me. They're also offering a generous 30% off on your first order just for zestful aging listeners. So go to coppercompression.com forward slash zestful aging, or you can just use the promo code zestful aging at checkout for your discount. Again, a big thanks to Copper Compression for their support. Uh, one of the things um, that really weaves through the book is th- this idea of the bittersweetness and what you call the grief and transformation of aging, sort of the, yeah. the lightness and the darkness. Can you expand upon that, Stephanie? Well, grief seems to be something in our culture that we don't want to experience, that we want to run from. It's, it's terrible. It's painful. It's awful. Get away from it as soon as you can. And yet grief if you don't honor her, shows up in your life in unexpected ways. If you honor the grief and you don't get stuck there, it propels you forward. Grief and love are the great transformative forces in life. And grief, bereavement, is a cavernous place in which to explore the inner life, the depth of your love. We don't grieve unless there's love. So therefore, I would say grief is born out of love. And I hold it as sacred passage. There's grief in aging at every stage, whether, you know, once again, you're a teenager, or you're midlife, or you're this life. Grief at this age, I think informs us to a greater degree. The life that I have left to live is much shorter than the life I've already lived. Mm -hmm. So when I give myself to the grief and the losses, there's a kind of beauty to that. There is a balance between dark and light. When, When you look at the Zen symbol, you see that one part of it is black with a little dot of white in it and one part of it is white with a little dot of black in it you know that's the that's the balance of life it's never an either or proposition it's never um let's just be positive well grief has positive aspects to it and sometimes i think we just need to let our hearts open to the tenderness of that um we live in a time right now where our, our country is troubled. People are troubled. I won't get into the politics of that, but it, it's palpable. People feel mm, it. Absolutely. And so 
within that, there is a kind of grieving. And for me, what I've noticed in recent months is tears come very, very easily. Well, what do I want to do with those tears? Do I want to push them aside? Or do I want to let them bathe me somehow? Wash away what hurts? Give myself to the tears and the experience of there is sorrow in life. So I love this idea of bathing. Um, and there's you're talking about sort of a transformative experience. Yes, that that's the really the intention of loss and love is that they are transformative experiences. Have you always seen it that way? Or is that something you've had to learn? No, that's something that I've had to learn. Um, the I was a person who pushed away pain or maybe didn't even know the kind of pain that I was in. We, you don't have to look very far to see that, you know, we all suffer in our own way. We all have wounds that we deal with throughout life. Sometimes I think you get like one wound and it's like, that's your course, that's your coursework for your life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, you get to work on this for your whole life. Oh. And and so part of my coursework or part of my life was to learn that all people grieve, that grieving is a natural part of life, and that when you give yourself fully to the process, that there are some goodies in that for you. Mm, what an interesting way. Why do you think people are so afraid to allow the grief to be there? Well, we, we don't want to hurt, first mm. of all. Um, second of all, I think that we sometimes equate um, the vulnerability of grief with weakness. You know, we live in a culture where we talk a lot about winners and losers and, you know, it's so dysfunctional and messed up. So I think those are some of the reasons that people don't, don't want to face their grief head on. Um, it might look weak. I don't want to feel the pain of it. Mm -hmm. Why dwell in it? You know, and it's a balance. It's like, well, if you dwell too much, you can get stuck there. But if you don't face it at all, it presents another set of problems. Mm -hmm. You can't live life in denial. It's, there's, I think about it, you know, we're talking about nature and this. It's almost like this organic thing that has to happen. You can't stop that natural process. And if you do, it leaks out someplace else. Right. Um, here's an example of nature. Uh, for a long time, the winter months were very, very difficult for me. I felt like I fell into a little bit of low-grade depression, didn't really want to be around people much. And a, a friend of mine suggested to me that I read the Persephone story. And the Persephone story has now become my win winter story. And for you listeners who may not know the Persephone story, um, this is a, one of the Greek myths and Persephone was the daughter of Demeter, and Hades, who was the god of the underworld, decided he wanted her for a bride, and so he pulled her down into the underworld. And Demeter, who was like the goddess of agriculture, said, okay, that's it. Unless you return my daughter, nothing's ever going to grow on the earth again. Well, this became problematic because people were, you know, going hungry. Mm. So a deal was struck that uh, Persephone would return every spring and the land would bloom again. Mm. 
Now, the Greeks made up this myth as a way of um, teaching us about the seasons, that there is a descent and an ascent to the seasons. But I think within my own self, and I've talked with other women who feel this too, there is a descent into winter that asks us to review the losses and the griefs of the year, that asks us to sit quietly in the darkness with what we've learned or with what we're discovering about ourselves. And then when spring comes, there's this ascent that you carry this new knowledge and the experience into the world when things are blooming again. So that's an example of how nature reflects back to us the idea of the circle of descent and ascent, um, Mm -hmm. grief and love, and on and on the circle goes. And that's been helpful for you in terms of understanding. Yeah, It's given me a context in which to place the story. Instead of, oh my gosh, am I really screwed up because I feel like this in the wintertime? Now it becomes a story. And I can say to myself, I'm, I'm living the Persephone story in my winter months. It's, I feel like it's a beautiful and creative way of holding it. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, I think that people in upstate New York would really appreciate that because <laughs> right. there's, we, get, we have gray skies for so long. And people, you know, it really is palpable. People just are so tired of being under cloud cover. Right. It's the yeah. part of the descent. Mm-hmm. I see. You know, another part of your book that I loved is uh, your discussion about athletic wear. <laughs> and, um, you know, as somebody who works a lot with body and, you know, body image and folks struggling with eating and, and this, I just loved your, you know, it was, it was very cheeky. <laughs> yes, about, it was a little you know, cheeky, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about your understanding of athletic wear and advertising and why it, it bothers you so. Well, advertising gives us a false idea about what aging is. You know, there's like, there's a cutoff point with the women in the magazines or the women that you see on the television screen that it's it's as if life ends at 45 and then we're going to put you over here, call you out from the herd and put you in your own pen. (laughs) (laughs) Calling the herd. Yes. I'm going to call you out from the herd. So one of the things I noticed was I had been a, um, a devoted uh, customer of this particular company for years and years and years. And suddenly I realized that they weren't advertising to me anymore. And I thought, well, that's not really fair. But the more I got into it, the more I discovered that this is what advertising does to us, you know, and and I don't know why we just kind of like slink off with the idea that this is okay, because I know for my own mother, what I wanted the most for her in her later years was I wanted for her to feel good. And how do you feel good? Well, you get out and you walk or you do a stretch class or you do a yoga class or something. So um, I still wear athletic tights and a t-shirt. It's kind of my uniform, Mm -hmm. especially during the winter months. And I like clothes that allow me, me to move freely and whatnot. And I've grown impatient and irritated with advertising that makes it look like, Older women shouldn't exercise or older women aren't sexy enough to wear our clothes and exercise. There's kind of a a defeminization, a desexualization of women mid-60s and beyond. 
And I think how unfortunate to miss that opportunity to show that exercise really can be intergenerational. Mm-hmm. What should prevent me from doing the same walks that a 25-year-old does? I had a, a girlfriend recently in Ashland, Oregon that did this um, big bike ride up by Crater Lake. She's 73 years old. Mm-hmm. She said, a lot of young people passed me on the road that day. And I thought, yeah, and I'll bet they didn't know they were passing a 73-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I'm hoping that the athletic industry will come around a bit. I think that they have come around a little bit in terms of, you know, not everybody is a size four. Mm-hmm. There are different body types. We're, we're like a bunch of cats, you know. Cats are different. <laughs> you know, there's, some of them have stripes. Some of them are calico. Some of them are solid colors. People are like that too. So I'm hoping that as the time progresses, and I think this is a great time for women to speak out about this, that we will start seeing our moms in athletic wear, ourselves in athletic wear, and it's just a given. I think uh, there's a business here waiting for you at <laughs> inclus- incl- wild, inclusive athletic wear. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's just what I need is one more thing to do. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you're talking about uh, size diversity, age diversity. and All diversity. And they're so behind the times because we know the demographic is shifting and that people 50 and over are, uh, you know, there's money there, there's spending power, and they're really missing a huge opportunity. And and some of their ideas are, are obsolete. Well, you probably see this. And I've been seeing it a lot lately that midlife women and beyond are really finding a voice. It's like this grassroots uprising. In the last election cycle, 2018, more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and federal office than ever before. Mm -hmm. This year, a woman 50-plus won not only the Golden Globe for Best Actress, but the Oscar for Best Actress, Mm -hmm. like a real grown-up woman, Renee Mm -hmm. Zellweger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's happening more and more. So this, I mean, this is a great time to be a woman growing older in this culture, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I don't think that we're as silent as we used to be. And we're sure as heck not going gently into that good night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, there, you can feel the ground swell yeah. and, um, it's, it's really exciting. Do you want to talk uh, for a moment about coffee table wisdom and what it's about and... And your experience of being sure. a podcaster? Sure. Um, Coffee Table Wisdom is a podcast, my podcast, which launched uh, about seven months ago. And I started the podcast to be a platform for positive aging, which is what my book is about. And then I was surprised that it became something else. Yes, it's still about positive aging, but I had no idea I would enjoy interviewing people and having conversations with people as much as I do. I absolutely love talking to women who are doing interesting things, um, who are making a difference in the world, who are sharing their strengths, their vulnerabilities, their insights. Um, 
it's a delight <laughs> to use a word that I use a lot and is in the title of my book. And the name Coffee Table Wisdom came about because of the size of my book. And you've seen my book. It's literally, mm-hmm. little is not coy. It's literally five by seven. Mm-hmm. And it's a slim volume of essays uh, and vignettes about aging. And so I was lamenting to my husband one day, I said, I don't know, it's just, it's such a little book and, and you know, maybe it isn't a real book. And, you know, I was going off on some awfulizing spin. <laughs> and he said, oh, honey, this is the kind of book that people leave on their coffee table. It's like coffee table wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I love the name. So mm-hmm. that is the name. Um, and you can get Coffee Table Wisdom wherever you get your podcasts. And I've interviewed mm-hmm. some wonderful people and have more wonderful people lined up to uh, interview. And I hope you'll give a listen. Oh, I think our we the audience will certainly want to listen and, and see. If they're interested in this podcast, I'm guessing they will also be interested in yours because there's a definite commonality there about... Um, putting good out in the world. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think that you should come talk on my show too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> I would you. love I, to have you as a I guest. Would, I would love it. I'd be honored. Um, Stephanie, where can people, besides listening to your podcast, where can people find out more about you and, and the book and and what you do? Well, you can go. you can go to my website, which okay. is stephanieraffalock.com. Hopefully you have show notes because that's a mouthful, Stephanie Raffalock. <laughs> <laughs> but people can look, look for this on the show notes page. Mm-hmm. Um, the book can be pre-ordered now through either IndieBound or Amazon.com. Okay. The okay. book is released on April 28th of this year. And uh, that's where you can find me. Mm-hmm. I'm around you- on... You also, do you blog for 60 and Me? Um, I have blocked, blogged for 60 and Me quite a bit. I haven't done much mm-hmm. this past year. It's been so much getting the podcast going, getting the book going, mm-hmm. that, you know, you have to prioritize. That is for sure. That is for sure. Well, I, I have such a, you know, such a lovely um, conversation. I really appreciate what you bring to this whole discussion about how old is old and what you can do to continuously feel good even as your body is aging. Uh, The book is delightful. It's the perfect name for it. But it's also, it's small, but it really feels, um, it feels substantial. It feels you're tackling big questions and doing it in a very poetic way. I, I, I really enjoyed it and I'd recommend it for my listeners. It's called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. And I want to thank you, Stephanie, for spending time today. Nicole, it was just absolutely lovely being on your show. (laughs) And thank you so much. It was really fun to have a conversation with you. As we've heard, Stephanie Raffalock is also a big fan of hiking in nature with her dogs, which covers the main behavior scientifically proven to help us age well movement, nature, and pets. If you want to learn more about these behaviors and others that contribute to aging well, you can hop on over to ZestfulAging.com and check out my web course, Zestful Aging. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine, but I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, It's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance, and it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K.com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at ZestfulAging.com. I really am their biggest fan. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. 
And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.